Hi, I'm James. And I'm Cairo. And we're bringing you Who Cares Wins, the podcast all about caring. Sharing some of the amazing stories and light-hearted aspects of the role, but not shying away from some of the more difficult aspects. And doing it with a smile on our face. And if you find those stories helpful, please do subscribe and rate them highly on your podcast provider because it makes a real difference to getting these stories to those people who are sometimes really struggling. Right, James, let's get on with the show. Okay, Cairo, so this is season two, episode three of Who Cares Wins? Whoop, whoop. Yeah, it's all going on. And we've got our first bonafide celebrity in the house. Yeah, David Grayson, chair of Carers UK. Um, yeah, he's, he's a bit of a sleb in the carer world. Celebrity in the, in the carer's world rather than, you know, he's not up there with Beyonce, um, but he's a, bi- <laughs> he's a big deal in this space. Absolutely. And he very kindly came into... Do you think we could get Beyonce on? We, is Beyonce a carer? I don't know, but everyone is a carer in my eyes. So uh... absolutely, absolutely. Well, let, let's let's have a go. Um, but no, David uh, very kindly came down to the Phoenix Court podcasting studio and uh, and had a chat. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because he'd been both cared for and a care Um and I think that gives you a quite an interesting dynamic. So yeah, super interesting interview. Yeah. Let's uh, let's give it a listen. So I suddenly found myself on my 11th birthday, very close to death. I had contracted, no one still to this day knows how, but I contracted a very serious bone disease called osteomyelitis. Thankfully, my, well, my godfather's was a retired GP. He came to bring me my birthday present and then said, tell my parents, get him straight into hospital. And for the next month, I remember very little of, of what was going on. Gosh, that's, that's incredibly fortunate that that's just happened. It, it, like was, that. it was, yes, it was very lucky because when my parents got me into the Sheffield Children's Hospital, apparently I was just a few hours away from death. So all a bit dramatic and it happened so quickly. Um, yeah. And suddenly from 11 to 12, when most people are starting to become much more independent from their parents and so on, I literally had to rely on my parents for absolutely everything. Because for months on end, I was in what they called a hip spiker, which was a plaster of Paris from up here at the top of the chest, all the way down to the little toes and just strategic holes um, in in between. So I was literally just sort of stuck in the bed for months on end. I always say I went into that experience reading Enid Blyton and came out (laughs) reading James Bond and various other adult thriller writers and so on. So it was a very dramatic time. And my mum, who was a primary school teacher, was a very successful primary school teacher for more than 40 years. She gave up teaching for a year in order to nurse me night and day. And obviously, it was a very tough time for my parents. I was an only child. So for them, it was all very, very traumatic. It was quite stressful, I think, on on their marriage, although they hid that very successfully at the time. And for me, it was a very formative experience. Happily, the doctors were wrong when they said to my parents, he probably won't live. And when they said, if he does live, he probably won't ever walk again. I am pleased to have proved the doctors wrong. So that was my experience of being cared for. So when years and years later, I saw my parents looking after their parents, that was a natural part of what it is to be human. And then years later still, I never thought about the fact that I was being a carer for 
my dad to a lesser extent, mum was the main carer. But when he died and I started spending every weekend up in, in, in Sheffield with my mum, it never occurred to me at first that I was a carer. And probably it wouldn't have ever occurred to me that I was a carer rather than just a son trying to, <laughs> to, to help his mum just as she looked after me. But for the fact that I'd previously chaired a, a big social enterprise called Housing 21, which provides elder care, sheltered housing and, and, and domiciliary care services and so on for older people. And one of the other members of the board was a lady called Helena Herklotz. And when I finished on the, the Housing 21 board as, as chair um, and took a, a the sabbatical year, she got in touch and said, David, come and have a chat to me because I've just taken on a new role as the CEO of Carers UK. And of course, she knew because she'd heard me talk about looking after my mum and dad and what have you. And she knew that I was a carer and had a pretty shrewd idea that I'd never thought of myself <laughs> as a carer. Well, and of course, that's a big theme of uh, these podcasts that so many people don't realise they're a carer until actually they're a long way into that that journey. I think that's such an important point, James, which is why I'm very excited that groups like yours are providing the, these extra facilities for, for carers because today... 6,000-plus people will become a carer for the first time. And our challenge and the challenge of other carers' organizations all over the country is to try to get many more of those people to recognize much earlier than, as you say, many people currently do, and as I did, that we are a carer. But the crucial reason why I'm so keen that we get many more people to identify themselves at a much much earlier point in their caring journey is because if we do, they're more likely to go looking for advice and information. And I have taught over the years that I've been chairing Carers UK to so many carers around the country who have said to me, David, if only I had known <laughs> at the beginning of my caring journey yeah. all of the things I know now, how much easier it would have been Absolutely. for me, how much more resilient I would feel as a carer. So I'm really passionate about getting people aware of the idea that most of us during the course of our lives will probably be cared for, be carers at different points. And if we can get more effective advice and information faster, that is all to the good. Well, absolutely. And, and we've, we've got common cause there. And I, th I think one of the things that really excites me is that those 6,000 people who today are becoming a carer will feel very lonely on that exercise. And uh, the more that we can bring them together and say, you know, there are 6,000 other people who, who, who have had that experience today alongside you, that is hugely powerful. I think this, again, is, is very important because although I already kept saying in, in, in the few minutes we've been chatting, this is part of what it is to be human. This is not something separate and so on. But still, when it happens to you, it can be quite a, a, a lonely experience, as, as, as you say. And again, I've talked to lots of, of carers who've said, I didn't really notice it. But actually, gradually, my social circle was shrinking, often for a whole variety of reasons in some cases, just because the carer didn't have time. Perhaps if they'd had to give up work to care, then their income was much 
less and therefore they simply couldn't afford to socialise. And of course, it's, it's embarrassing to, to say to people, actually, you're, you're choosing too expensive places to go and eat or I just can't afford that. So the loneliness point, again, is really important, which is why Carers UK, for instance, we have a an online community chat room, which encourages people to just vent, actually, sometimes <laughs> about, you know, some of the, the frustrations that they might be feeling or the fears that they're feeling about, am I doing a good enough job, etc. Because most of us always feel we've never done it as well as we could or we should. Oh, absolutely. And can you, can you tell me a little bit about how you managed to be an entrepreneur, a, a lecturer, and, uh, you know, have a very successful professional life, if you don't mind me making you blush a little bit, um, uh, whilst also looking after, particularly looking after your mum. And of course, she was in Sheffield, and most of your professional life will have been in London, I imagine. London and Cranfield School of Management, which is about 50 miles north of, of London between Milton Keynes and Bedford, for, for those not sure where, <laughs> where, where Cranfield University is. I got to know the Midland Mainline train service exceptionally well. It's a great line. I I could do all of the guards' (laughs) announcements um, for him or her um, very, very easily, still can. And I did find, and again, this this goes back, and I'm the chair of Carers UK, for heaven's sake, so I should know all of the data, all of the facts, etc. But it was only in in retrospect, as I really thought carefully about it afterwards, because in the moment, you're just in the moment and you're too busy. But actually, in retrospect, I realized that I stopped taking invitations for work-related things unless it was absolutely on project for something I was very specifically working on there and then. So anything more kind of discursive, I was tending to, to decline because I simply didn't have the time. And I also noticed in retrospect that, again, my own social life shrank, although I have to say... I was incredibly fortunate because a really good group of friends um, who were very, very loving and looked after me in the sense that if I suddenly found myself not going up to Sheffield on uh, a Friday night but going up on the early train on a Saturday morning, then I would pick up the phone or send a text message and say, oh, just happened to be in in London. I'm not going up to Sheffield until the the 6.30 a.m. train and you know, immediately the message would be pinged back, get round here because the food will be ready at 7.30, you know, come and have a bite to eat and so on. So I was very lucky that a circle of, of, of really good close friends who, who kept sort of making sure that I was doing other things. But yes, I mean, I, I, I spent a, a lot of time and, and be very clear, it is, I'm sure, the most important thing I will ever do in my life, looking after my mum and crucially making sure that she was able to stay both safely and happily in the family home. And uh, as she wished, she died there um, uh, rather than going to hospital and so on. So I don't in any way regret um, it was an incredibly important part of of being uh, sort of alive. I'd really like to ask you about the changing relationship that you have had with your mother as you've gone through all the different phases? Because, of course, any uh, teenager will um, uh, be wanting to grow up and be independent, and then uh, you were suddenly in a very dependent relationship. And then later on, that was that was reversed. And I wonder whether you well, learned th- anything about uh, relationships as you went there. That, that, that's a f- very interesting question. I mean, I think looking back to when I was being cared for, 
it must have been incredibly difficult having had this 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 really kind of scary experience for my parents then to let me go off and hitchhike around France when I was 16 <laughs> with a schoolmate on the very spurious grounds that it would improve our performance in the French O-level, which in, in my case, you know, regrettably it, it didn't. Um, my parents, I think, were incredibly visionary and uh, an understanding that I had to get my independence back as quickly as possible. And I'm sure my mum was terrified the first time after my hip spiker was off and I was on, on crutches and had got really you know, quite confident again about being on, on crutches when I said, right, I want to go and, and get an ice cream from the village store. And I'm sure, you know, part of her must have said, no, 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 no. If you think you're, <laughs> you're, 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 you're going up all the way up the street on, on, on your own and so on. But... She always used to encourage me to be to be independent. Oh, and I right. think that point, whether it's my mum caring for stroppy teenage David or or David looking after mum as she turned 90, I, I think understanding the the need that all of us have to feel independent even when we are dependent. So, David, you've taken on this role with Carers UK now. And well, it's, 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 when you say taking it on, I mean, I, I, I joined the board of Carers UK at the end of 2012. So I was doing Carers UK um, actually whilst um, uh, looking after, uh, after mum. And uh, uh, actually, one of the most difficult things I think I, I had to do was just a week actually less than a week after mum had died, to chair the the Carers UK AGM and annual members conference. And something I've never actually told anybody before, but uh, obviously on my mobile phone, there were all my regular favourite uh, calls. And literally, I'm, I'm going into the building where we're having the Carers UK annual conference and, and, and AGM, and my phone goes... And I look at the phone, and obviously all the the the, the photos, the, the 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 numbers which are regular numbers have pictures attached, and so up comes my mum's photo, and it's a call from home, and I am like, you know, what is going on here? And actually, it was the wonderful neighbour across the road who was a huge part of well, she and her husband were a huge part of mum's circle of care, and. and absolutely must be recognized and she very kindly had said i know you won't want to think about doing this david do you want me to um, sort out your mum's clothes and put them um in, in bags to take to the charity could we discuss what we're going to do um and she was wanting some advice about what to, to put in which bags and things but oh my goodness gosh it was so difficult you know when it seemed as if um it was a phone call from 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 mum so you, you've uh, taken on the role with Carers UK and you've been doing that for coming up to six years now. Can you tell us a little bit about what Carers UK is doing and, and how, if people are looking for support, what they should do to, to engage with, with you? Absolutely. So it's, uh, the website is, is, is carersuk.org. Uh, we've been going since 1965 
And our purpose is, is a very simple one. It's a society which respects and values and crucially also supports carers properly. And we really have three major areas of activity at the moment. So the first is that we have a very strong policy advocacy and campaigning arm. So we are trying to get a, a fairer deal for, 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 for carers in terms of things like getting proper ring fence funding for carers breaks and increasing substantially the size of the of, of, of the fund for carer breaks. We are campaigning for an increase in the uh, the carers allowance at the very least to the same level as it is in in Scotland because of course in Scotland as your listeners will know carer caring is a, a, a devolved responsibility. The second major area of our activity is around advice and information and support. So there's a an wealth of information on our on our website about um, what to think about, where to to get specialist uh, help and, and and advice and so on. And then our third big area of, of of activity is around caring and work, because most of us, me included, um, combine our caring with working. And it's in nobody's interests for people who are juggling their job and looking after a loved one should give up their job. Very often they are the people with the, the most experience in the organization. They um, are, are, are very committed and so on. And so the, the employer loses institutional memory and, 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 and expertise and so on. From the carer's perspective, Immediately, you've you, you, you've lost um, income, and of course, the knock-on effect in terms of a lower pension pot when you come to, to to retire. And actually, I also think it's not in the interest of the person cared for, because actually, if your carer is not getting out of the house on a regular basis to go to work and so on, is not bringing back in all of the the bits of gossip and the extra things <laughs> to chat about, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. Our work, we have a, a, a very strong network called Employers for Carers, which encourages employers from the public sector as well as from the, the private sector and the charity sector to be a great employer for the one in seven of their workforce on average who will be juggling, working and caring. And there's lots of very practical things that we do through em Employers for Carers in terms of supporting employers to set up carer networks in their organisations helping to think through the kind of flexibilities you might give for somebody who's, who's got a caring responsibility. And also, we now have something called Carer Confident, which is a benchmarking scheme which enables an employer to check and see, well, just how good are we at being a good employer, ideally a great employer for our, our working carers? Well, it's all very important work. And, and the... Um the, particularly the advice and support is something that we're regularly uh, linking to. So we're, we're very grateful for the uh, work that you put in uh, to, to flag that up. Uh, David, we ask all our guests for um, uh, two questions, really. One is around uh, the thing that you really uh, enjoy about caring and that makes you laugh. And the other question is about a really touching memory that you uh, hold on to. I suppose, I think one of my most favoured memories is there's a, a, a nice little kind of country pub um, just at the 
the bottom of the hill from from um, my mum's uh, home. And every Sunday, without fail, we would be in this this little pub. My mum was not a great drinker, by the way. She was a good Methodist, but <laughs> um, but she'd have a little glass of wine on Sunday. We would go and have have Sunday lunch, and uh, invariably, at the end of of the main course, Mum would would say, "Next time, dear, remind me to ask for a children's portion because that was too big." And of course. We had asked for the children's portion each each time, but she was of that kind of World War II generation that hated the idea of wasting any food at all. But she was faced with what I have to say was a very generous, good Sheffield um, children's portion. But the other part of, of of that memory is that invariably every time as we were driving back up the hill from our, our pub lunch um, each Sunday, mum used to say, they make us feel so welcome there. And they really look after us so so nicely. And we did always used to have virtually always the same waitress, Ellen, who was wonderful. And so actually, after mum died, Ellen very kindly with her son organized all the food for mum's wake and everything. And oh, you know, she was she was at the funeral and so on. So every time now I, I, I go past that little pub, I always have those those very happy memories. That's that's delightful. David, thank you very much for coming in to talk to us. Uh, it's really um, great to hear your story. We do appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. So I think what's really interesting about David's approach to all of this is that he sees caring as being an absolutely straightforward part of being a human mm. that isn't a separate role. It's just a thing that you do at some point in your life, and we should all expect to do it, and it's it's something that we taking our stride which um which i think is really commendable actually um and he and you can really hear from what the way he's describing it the love and the affection that he's had for his parents and that that's been reciprocated it's um it's really very special no agreed i think you know i think to a certain extent we do all know it's part of us you know in the wedding vows it's in sickness and in health um and you know i think it's probably more of a case that we just don't think about it but I think most of us will probably realise at some point they're going to have to look after their parents or, or, or some of that. Um, but, yeah, no, I thought he, he really eloquently talked about it being such a part of humanity that I think is, um, yeah, it was an interesting way he talked about it. No, I think that's absolutely right. And so, so what did you take away from the interview? I think the, the 6,000 carers a day, I mean, that's, that's an incredible figure. That's yeah, a big number, right? It's one of when you start to put it at those, at those levels, you realize how many people are out there and how many of them are probably not getting the support they need. So, um, yeah, it was quite staggering, um, that, that figure for me. I guess that plays into so your point about how many of those 6,000 carers are getting the support they need plays into the point that he made himself, which is, if only I'd known at the beginning, right? Yeah, the classic carer's line. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, how many people are making uh, those uh, mistakes that we all make um, because we don't have the advantage of someone else to speak to and to listen to and to take advice from? Yeah. Uh, so it just kind of underlines the importance of the work of Carers UK, the other charities in the space, and, and of course, mobilising this podcast as well. Mm. And I think he, um, David mentioned the Carers UK forum, online forum, um, and, it, and it's definitely worth checking out, everyone. It's got some really interesting pieces. It's very much from a carers for carers perspective. 
Um, but I think he touched on it a little bit in the conversation, how often it's just somewhere to vent. You really need that to let off steam with people who understand and who aren't going to judge you. I think there's something really powerful in that. And I mean, particularly fighting against the kind of carer's guilt urge to kind of not talk about it, hold it inside. I think that was, yeah, very. So do, yeah, definitely every check out the uh, Carers UK forum. Yeah, well, it's important that because it's something where other people understand the kind of stress that you're going through and that you might not necessarily mean everything that you say when you're at a real moment of frustration. Where also the forum is interesting is, is linking with other carers. I mean, David mentioned the fact that social circles shrink often when you're caring because you've got additional responsibilities, money be, can be tight. And, you know, I think having a group of friends around you is, can be an absolute lifeline. But for so many, that's, that's not there. And the, there's something that I've picked up from talking to a lot of people is, is being able to have conversations with people about something that's not uh, related to bodily fluids or, uh, you know, the minutiae of day to day and just being able to take take your mind off it, actually, and, mm. and get on to something else and essentially have a have a sort of mental and emotional break from the caring role as well. It's really important. Yeah, I wrote a blog about that, actually. So check out on our website. Um, we're actually... Although my friends were often trying to be kind and asking me how, how my mum was doing, you know, it was a Saturday in the pub and all I wanted to do was talk about football. I wanted it as an, almost as an escape um, and finding that balance can be, can be difficult. So there's a really interesting interplay between having people who know and understand and can sympathise with also people kind of having no idea what's going on. And David alluded to it with his story of going into one of the Carers UK AGMs and, and getting a phone call mm. from his mum wow. ostensibly and um, how and how that must have been a huge emotional upheaval for him. And then moments later, uh, he's he's got to perform as, as the chair of this thing. Um, but people who don't know that w- w- won't necessarily be expecting him to be in that place. So having to put a front on things sometimes. And I, and I know that that's something a lot of our listeners uh, feel all the time. Yeah, those masks that you have to wear in, in different social situations. I mean, I can't imagine having something like that just before, you know, a, a fairly big event. It's, um, yeah, I suppose for me, it also makes you think about how many people you come across who must be going through some really difficult times that you just don't know about. And, you know, I suppose it's a nod to say, as a society, we should be nicer to people because we don't know what's happening in there. You know, if somebody's a bit having a bit of a bad day, it might be because, you know, life is, is pretty tough. Um, and, and I guess Carers UK are, are doing quite a lot to, to kind of raise the profile. They've got a fantastic, we, we must send a link out to the videos, the adverts that they've done in partnership with Centrica um, that tell a, a fantastic uh, and powerful story about the relationship between carers and uh, people who know them quite well. Yeah, yeah. For me, I think the the story he told about the impact a polite waitress can have on your on your day, it, it really resonated with me. I think the amount of times where a small act of kindness from somebody outside can just change the whole dynamic of a day and change, yeah, really change everything, change uh, a difficult situation, whether it be, I, I remember an occasion when, my mum, who suffers with uh, struggles with her mobility, and this bus driver just, you know, did everything to help her get onto. It was a, a coach, excuse me, but really made that difference, and it just made the whole journey. Like the whole journey, my mum was talking about. What a nice young man! I mean, he wasn't young in the, in any way, but um, <laughs> and it just it can just really pick up somebody's life. It's um, yeah, I thought that was really powerful. 
and how touching that the the same pub was able to lay on uh, all the food for the wake um, after a funeral as well. Uh, I think that's a really uh, fantastic, uh, touching and generous generous offer. Um, yeah, commit. Do we know the name of the pub? Did, did, was that mentioned? Oh, no, no, no. Uh... Well, we should, we, should, we should do a name shout, um, uh, a shout out sometime soon. I will ask David uh, for the name of the yeah, pub. Yeah, we'll get the name of the pub and, and we'll go there for a drink one time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Great. David, thanks so much for sharing that story. Um, we hope it's been uh, helpful uh, for, for everybody listening. I think it's great that somebody like David, who really he is a carer, is in that, can be, is heading up an organisation like Carers UK. It really makes sure that the organisation is driven with a kind of carer's first perspective. So I think that's, you know, it's going to be such a great moment. So really, thank you so much, David, for giving your time to come and speak to us. It's been great. Thanks, Caro. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone.